Welcome back to part two of our conversation with designated drinkers, Father Finch and Rabbi Drew. Now, if you've missed part one, go ahead and belly back up to that bar and give that a listen first. And we'll save a seat right here for you. So in part one, you know, we, we covered a lot, <laughs> talked about what it means, your approach to ministering, what today looks like in today's temple and in, in our churches as we know it today. But really what I want to do is I want to, since it's, you know, it, it is a season, I really want to get into um, the holidays that are at hand. And if I'm not mistaken, I think we should start off first with what is Lent? What does it mean? I guess I'll take that one. <laughs> <laughs> I wish our listeners could see because Dr. Jude just got a big head nod on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in some ways, if we want to really understand Lent, we have to we have to look at the holiday that concludes it, namely the celebration of Easter, which is uh, our biggest festival of the church year. And in the very early history of the church, it became common to precede festivals with periods of penance and fasting so as to better prepare to celebrate those festivals in, um, in, a, in a prepared way and in a, in a, to, to, to have rec- in a recollected spirit. Um, so Lent is the sort of earliest of the penitential seasons, and it's more or less 40 days before the celebration of Easter. The time, the length of time, is uh, inspired, if you will, by Jesus's uh, fast of 40 days uh, before his temptation in the desert. So this length of time is more or less inspired by that, but the number 40 as a length of time uh, occurs all throughout the Bible in the Old Testament with some frequency. So it originally lived in a very rigorous way. There would be abstinence from meat and from dairy and from hard drink and any number of other things. And over time, it's become in some ways more lax or more just left up to the needs and the preferences of the individual practitioner. But the spirit is supposed to be the same, that this is a time to reflect on our sinfulness, not in a sort of morbid or macabre way, but precisely so that it prepares us to celebrate what we believe to be uh, sort of the mystery of our salvation at at Easter uh, as Christians. So it's meant to sort of create a space for holy celebration, which comes at at the end of Lent with Easter. There are two, in the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I, again, I took these from our notes the other day, so don't let the listeners think I'm smart. Uh, <laughs> there are two <laughs> reprieves smart. in this 40-day time period, is there not? Yes, there, well, there are at least two. So um, <laughs> the first is, of course, uh, St. Joseph's Day, St. Joseph being uh, the husband of Mary, and uh, uh, an interesting character in the Bible and the New Testament, he never says a word uh, in the Bible. Oh, I guess but, not. Um, I never thought of that. We're, we're just simply told that he um, uh, had a vision uh, of an angel who tells him to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. But, of course, he's one of the most famous uh, saints in the church calendar, Joseph, the husband of Mary and the foster father of Jesus. And his feast day, uh, which is a celebratory occasion, always falls in the middle of Lent, or almost always falls in the middle of Lent, March the 19th, so just past. Uh, in certain cultures in particular, this became an especially celebratory day. It, it remains an especially celebratory day um, 
amongst Italians, and they developed this custom of building uh, large St. Joseph altars with all sorts of various uh, breads and uh, desserts and uh, pastas and these sorts of things. So there's St. Joseph's Day. There's, of course, also um, St. Patrick's Day, which is two days prior to that, March the 17th. It really only developed the secular reputation that it has in the 18th and 19th centuries with Irish immigrants to the United States. Mm. It always would have been a significant uh, holy day in Ireland in particular. St. Patrick, late 4th century, early 5th century, Britain actually, who was taken as a slave to Ireland, escaped and then later went back to Ireland uh, to, to do mission work and, of course, has become sort of the saintly figure of the Irish people. But in the 18th and 19th centuries in the United States, this day became a, 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 an occasion especially to celebrate Irish sort of cultural identity and the, the sort of party scene around that. Um, so it's a fairly recent <laughs> phenomenon. I love it. The party scene. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's awesome. I'll, I'll go any holiday that, you know, packs the bars. I'm like, oh, St. Patrick's Day, St. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. I'll do it. I'm like totally in. We got to we gotta up the ante, Rabbi Drew. You got you to gotta come up with the day. And then we're going to put it in there and we'll have like a circus. And we'll be like, oh, it's circus day at the bars. And everyone can do that. I mean, Purim is, is a big one. Not in the bars yet, but I, uh, but Queen right. Esther, it's, it's she, she, home. she's, yeah. yeah, but we could definitely, we can adopt that into something. Right. Well, it's interesting. So Purim, which just took place last month, what, or yes, last month also is, I would describe it as the drinkingest day of the Jewish calendar, but this year wow. it actually directly coincided with St. Patrick's Day. So this year Purim, which is the <laughs> drinkingest day on the Jewish calendar was also St. Patrick's Day. So that was a crazy day in America. <laughs> So is there a traditional spirit for that? No, but uh, it's interesting. So the the holiday of, or the festival of Purim is based off the biblical book of Esther. And although technically a lot of people allow you to drink whatever you'd like, a lot of r- rabbis have said, well, because a lot of the drinking in the, in the book of Esther was done over wine, therefore we should drink wine, not whiskey, beer, or anything else. It really should be done with wine. So there are some rabbis who really advocate just wine. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I mean, when you said the most drinkingest day, I'm like, holy cow, I've been to Passover. Yeah. And that's a pretty drinky drinkerson day, too. I would say that's number three. <laughs> Ooh, I, number three. Yeah. So wow. I, would put, I would say number two would probably be, it's called either alternatively Simchat Torah or Simchas Torah. That takes place in the fall at the, uh, the end of uh, Sukkot. So this is the the last day, the final day of the, all the crazy holiday season in the fall for the Jewish calendar. So that I would say is number two. And it's almost neck and neck with Purim. And then Passover, I would say, is a distant third. Wow. Wow. With, I'm... A, with a four cup of wine minimum. That's a distant third. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was seven. When I go to Hal's, he has us drink seven. I said four minimum. Is he pushing it? I said oh, minimum. four minimum. <laughs> that, that's what I missed. <laughs> you got to listen, Louise. Listen. <laughs> um, let's do Passover now. Yeah. Oh, okay. So let's, should we do our cocktail? Come back and talk about Passover? Uh, sure. All right. Let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take everybody to make a cocktail. All right. Yes. Then we're going to go make a, a drink. Yes. Great. So today, I, you know, I got challenged. I had an original cocktail that was for this sh- for this episode, and then I was told that we could only have things that were uh, kosher, wine based, 
couldn't be liquor, couldn't be this. There was a lot of rules for this episode. So I was like, mm. so I, I was I was going to my repertoire. What can I do? What can I do? And I didn't want to pour just a glass of wine that was kosher because <laughs> that would be too like boring. So I thought, Ada, we could do some sangria. Mm. And I do love sangrias. And you can easily adapt this recipe I'm going to give you today into a sangaree. And a sangaree is when you would pour... Um, you know, a liquor base or, um, you know, some other spirited uh, item in there, whether it would be brandy or, you know, depending where you are in the world, um, uh, you could do tequila, you could do, um, you know, different kinds of gin or uh, mezcal. It's just kind of uh, coming to my head right now, like what I've put in sangria before. I think I put everything in there. But the way that I build mine, this this is a little bit uh, traditional to my heritage. Uh, which is an Italian, I have an Italian background. Um, so my father would always just be like, just uh, put everything in there. And I'd be like, oh, well, that's the recipe, just everything? <laughs> and the answer is, uh, yeah, just everything. Mm. But not really. It's it's actually, there is a recipe to it. So what we're going to do is we're going to use um, fresh orange, lime, and a lemon. You said there's an extra lemon, Louise, right? So we're going to juice all of this fresh. Now, what's beautiful about making this is that you can leave this in your refrigerator, you know, for good I don't know, you know, two, three days, depending on what's in your refrigerator. You happen to keep a lot of cheese at home. You are not going to have this for two to three days. It's just a lot of live cultures on cheese, even as as good as you might wrap them. Wait, so having cheese exposed can diminish the length of lemon juice in your fridge? Uh, liquor, like drinks like this, it'll change the flavor because of the living cultures on the on the on the um, on the cheese. Really? When you're doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's weird, right? That's it doesn't awesome. matter how it's much science. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't matter how much uh it doesn't matter how much um baking soda you put in there. So we're gonna put the juice of one whole orange in. It is fresh, right? So fresh is best. Now do I think that you could go out and buy orange juice and do this? Yes, you probably could. But it's it's more of a labor of love to show your commitment to the bowl, right? No, I'm just kidding. Um into the recipe and you're making it for your friends and family at home. So, and yourself, which is most important. Um, if you're going to, if you're going to self-importance, right? So we're going to put our lime in there. So one whole lime. And this is where it gets to be the hobbled ingredients, right? How many times have you like gone in the refrigerator? Maybe it's like, I don't know, two strawberries left, three blueberries, you know, uh, I don't know, my kids, half an apple, whatever whatever they've t- decided to throw into the refrigerator. Uh, I just use those uh, berries or fruit as the, as the add-on, and this becomes personal to you, what you want to put in there. So we have our uh, citrus in there, and now we're going to add a little bit of simple syrup. If you're doing this at home, you can add sh- uh, straight sugar as the amount that you want. I want to control this a little bit. So I am only adding to this because this is for one um, for one bottle. I am adding um, uh, what is that? Five and a half ounces of simple syrup. So this is a one bottle recipe. So now this is all in there on the bottom, and now you'll add your wine, and you want to add your citrus, your sugar together. Give it a second, and then add the wine. Because if you do it the other way, you know these things have densities, and there is a way to do this. So now at this point, if we were making a sangaree and we weren't going to make, and we were going to add um, other spirit to this, you would have added the spirit to after you added the lemon, the citrus, and the sugar, and then you would have added the spirit, and then you will add the wine. The wine will be your last 
uh, step. Why is that? Why is the wine last? Because the wine is delicate. It will be. It gets burned. Um, it can be burned by the spirit being put on top of it. So you'll lose that beautiful um, aromatic smell. Really? And like burnt? Yeah. How do you mean burned? It's like you burn the aroma. Like I, I mean, burn not like in the literal sense, but like fire. I guess like you'll, you'll, um, you'll mask the aroma of the wine. Because right now, when I just the way I built it, the mm-hmm. bowl you could smell it everywhere. Wow. It's not like you can't like the clo- like she's only a few feet from me, and you can like it's like in the air. Wow. Um, and you can and you can challenge me on this one. I I would, <laughs> I would guess to say is that. You could challenge this, but when you do it this way and you do citrus, sugar, a spirit if you'd like, and then the wine, and then you build it any other way just to kind of prove the point wrong, you'll see the difference. And it's kind of, it's like super amazing. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to decorate our um, sangria with a little bit of uh, chopped strawberries because that's what we have. And maybe I'll put an extra um, piece of orange in there because I do have people that are here. So I'll put a few rings of orange. And again, it's just whatever's around you. And then, you know, I have a half a lime and I'm just going to throw that on top. And it's really funny because all these things that like, you know, just have lying around these little piecemeals, right, make for the best. It's like uh, it's the best of the little bit of the leftover. So how how common is it to build a sangria with spirits in it or without? It's pretty common. So like if you have a traditional sangria in any restaurant, you would you would definitely be adding some sort of fortified if not like a fortified spirit or um, or brandy. And if we were doing this uh, a little bit more traditionally, we would have probably put, you know, maybe like three ounces of grappa and then some Vinsanto, which is a sweet, desserty wine, instead of the sugar and this. And I'm happy to share that uh, recipe as well. Mm. Uh, and but but this one is um, it's for the it's for the people that are going through this uh, this time of year, right? So you can like serve it for everybody. It's super easy, <laughs> you know. It's it's good to go. Let me grab some ice. All right, so let's give this a little stir in our bowl, and like normally you could put it, pour this into a pitcher or to whatever um, you have at home. A vase, a vessel, just make sure it has a bottom. Otherwise, it'll leak out all over your counter. So just build it in something with a bottom. And maybe not a cardboard box because that would be silly. Yes, that would be totally silly. Um, I, know it, um, I know you're not allowed to use the chalice for this, Father, but it would be kind of uh, iconic. <laughs> just get a, get a goblet. Yes, just get a goblet and do that. I think I think that if we um, adopted this to um, either—, either uh, um, services that this would be a, a fun thing. But like, oh, so if you te- if you tend today, we have a mixologist. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that thought. Cheers. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Thanks, it's, Gina. You're welcome. Is that Amazing. fun? It's a fun, easy little um, trick. That is awesome. And, and recipe. And so, to your point, you could use kosher wine. So we be- did use kosher wine. Oh, there we go. Right? Yeah. yeah. There's a little K on there. We're good to go. Good. Yeah. So, yeah. Kosher wine. And yeah, and you know what's in, you know, I think Passover is the most difficult time when it comes to drinks and drinking in, in Jewish practice because we can't have beer, we can't have whiskey, anything that with grains involved. So it's definitely a very restrictive drinking time uh, for Jewish practice. So why is it? It goes back to the the Exodus story in the book of Exodus. So as the Jews were departing from Egypt, they had to 
depart hastily. So they couldn't allow their their breads to rise. But that's also any t- now we can't have certain grains that have spent so much time with water. So that really is not just bread. It in- especially I would say bread and beer are sort of the biggest ones. Those are the most leavened products, bread and beer. But that extends to whiskey um, and anything with grains. Um, so it's it's all of that stuff, which, you know what, at the end of the day, giving up beer and bread or whiskey for over a week, it's doable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in the Lent season. We're in 40 days. So I'm, I'm, I hear you. Yeah. But fortunately, <laughs> yeah, I know you mentioned this earlier. There's a bunch of Blanco tequilas that are acceptable as well as gins, vodkas. So, you know, there, and obviously a lot of wine. So for this, you know, this time period that we're undergoing right now, we're right in the thick of this, of yeah. Passover, Yes, it's a time of giving up beer and bread, but thank God there's still wine and spirits that we can drink. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I thought it was really interesting when uh, Rabbi Drew was explaining this to me before, um, that um, mezcal and like tequilas are making their way to the Jewish tables. Mm -hmm. Well, they're agave. Yeah, because it's agave, not grain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yes. It's unfortunate, though, that chartreuse is not ever going to be kosher because it is delicious and... um, but you can just have it out. I mean, would you, have you tried chartreuse? No, I have yes, not. No. Really, I've just stayed away because I don't know if it has wine involved. It, it, yeah, I don't know. And wine's its own separate yeah. issue when it comes to kosher. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Nobody knows the ingredients, and um, the uh, monks aren't giving it up. So mm. we're, you know, that's never going to happen. So we're going to have to make you a, new, a different cocktail. So before we go any further, I'm going to make sure we do our housekeeping. So you're going to get your um, recipes, tricks, tips, how-tos um, at designateddrinker.show. And we'll definitely make sure we have links to the Jewish drinking show. Because yes. it's just a good show either way. I enjoy it. Um, I learn all kinds of new things that I know so little about. But yes. Honestly, it's always a good time. Yes, it is. And if you're just drinking, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. So, um, do you guys have plans for Passover and for Easter? <laughs> you just asked the priest and the rabbi what their plans for the holidays are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Tell them. No, because it is for people. So, people who don't What are you know, doing the Thursday before, Father, no, for Easter? I want to because here's the reason why. Because we have people who don't know. Oh, that's yeah, tell my us, point. Tell us how they, you You know. know all about okay, the we, religion. Yeah, we just, I'm sorry. I'm from what? New York. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually an interesting question. What are we doing the Thursday before? Of course, there's the there's yeah. the Holy Thursday Mass, but what's probably less well known is that be, uh, we believe Holy Thursday is the day that the priesthood was instituted. The Christian priesthood was instituted oh, uh, at the la- at the Last Supper. So, unlike for most of the rest of the faithful who are maintaining Holy Thursday as a continued day of fasting leading up to Easter. It's a day of celebration for priests, and so it's quite common for priests to gather together to celebrate that day, usually about midday because we have, we've got the, the Mass of the Lord's Supper in the evening. But um, I've, I've got some good friends who uh, in, a, in a monastery, and uh, a monastery of mostly priests, and they have a big feast that day before, the, before they enter those final days of the celebration of the Lord's Passion and Resurrection. And um, so— here in the Waco area, the priests do the same thing. We get together for for lunch, usually on Holy Thursday, in a in a very celebratory way. As far as Easter goes, that's uh, obviously a, a busy uh, day of ministry. Yeah. And then um, 
not quite sure what my plans are going to be yet, but uh, probably probably do something with some of my students, something uh, something festive. See, it was a relevant question. Mm. It was a good question. All right, it was a good question. All right, Rabbi Drew, what are you going to do? Or in general, what do you do for Passover? Great question. So for the so Passover works interestingly. We have a f- sort of a first set of two days where it's a holiday, and then at the end there's another two days, and in the in middle there's a four day period that it's not totally holiday, but it's not not either. Either way, <laughs> and th- throughout the entirety of it, we are avoiding leavened products. So. Uh, we're having matzahs instead of bread, no beer. I mentioned the green products, no whiskey, none of that stuff. This is the designated drinker show, so I have to talk about what we can't drink during this time. <laughs> but in his, and, and all of this stuff really starts not just as soon as sunset happens when on the night of the 15th, the first night of Passover. All of this stuff really starts a half day, actually in the morning already before Passover actually starts. So there's already refraining, and it goes on, like I said, for nearly a week and a half. Uh, that having been said, it's not exactly an entirely dry time for the first night of Seder and for those who celebrate a second night of the Passover Seder. It's a recounting of the departure from Egypt of the Jewish people, sort of like our origin story, as it were. And there's a four cup minimum of wine to be drunk. So it's not it's not a dry time. And uh, that's the first two nights. And the rest of the time, if people want to drink, it's still a, a festival. It's a holiday. It's a time to celebrate and be happy. So there's you're certainly drinking throughout uh, as people would like to see fit. So, uh, but like I said, there, there's definitely a huge limitation, not only on drinking, but the amount of foods that we can consume is, is heavily, uh, limited. So it's, uh, it's not the greatest of time for a consumptive from a consumptive perspective, but otherwise it's a nice time. Great. I love it. Vegetarian, uh, satyrs are better because mm. that for Passover, don't you think? I don't. I've Have never been. been to, I've never been to a vegetarian seder, but it sounds interesting. Well, they do the they do the egg and the, everything on the on the plate, but then they my friend one of my friends is mm-hmm. like um, she just does all vegetarian food, and like there's so much you can do oh, wow. because it's all vegetables and it's crazy instead of just trying to make mm-hmm. like a, a meat. And yeah. then she does an awesome um, she does a matzo brai with like spinach and she bakes it. It's mm. so good. I'll send you the recipe for it. She's a chef. Nice. So she just like adopted her world. Anyway, <laughs> okay. I'm done. All right, Father, this one's going to go to you today because we, uh, so on the Designated Drinker Show, we, at the end, we asked one final question. Now we know the answer for um, Rabbi Drew, but if you can identify yourself as one, so in this day and age, everyone identifies themselves as, as with a spirited um, animal and you might identify yourself with um, you know, a dove of peace, right? Because it's in the, it's symbolic in the Catholic religion and it's everywhere, right? If you can identify yourself with one spirit, with one ingredient, whether it's spirit for a cocktail or for food, what would that ingredient be and why does it describe you? Hmm, interesting question. And uh, my answer may be a little bit boring, Um I think I might describe my, although appropriate for today's uh, show, I think I might describe myself <laughs> as uh, a good red wine, perhaps red wine and a wine-based cocktail, but uh, may, and maybe that's boring and plebeian of me, but uh, why? Well, I think um, it's, it's just the classic example of that which lifts the spirits, that which gives joy to the heart, as the, uh, as the psalm says. It makes that which is tedious less so. It inspires thoughtful and creative reflection and intriguing conversation. You just can't go wrong with being wine. I love that. 
I cannot dispute. <laughs> Has your answer changed, Rabbi Drew, since we last asked the question? Probably. I don't even remember what I answered, but uh, I probably said something. I don't know. I, you know, I would guess I probably said something whiskey-esque would be my guess. Uh, I'm sure what someone's going to go back and listen and check. What's, oh, it, what's today? Tell me what today is. It could change. I'm definitely thinking something more calm. I liked what Father Finch said about wine. You know, there's a smoothness to it. I, I definitely would like to go for like maybe a, a calming liqueur or like a, a maybe like a honey whiskey, something in that mm. ballpark or even a mead. I would love like a good yeah. mead, um, something and, and maybe just something calm and smooth. There you go. I like that we're at the beginning of, of alcohol. We have mead <laughs> and now we have wine, which I love. So you have the honeymoon drink. Yeah, we're like we're at, we're in uh we're in Egyptian times now. I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> Biblical times, I would say. Biblical times. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for being a part of my favorite episode I've always wanted to do. So a rabbi, a priest, and a podcaster walked into the bar. And Gina, your response is to this joke, the punchline is... What is this, a joke? <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank oh, you so cheers, much for spending cheers. your time with us. Cheers. Happy have, holidays. Yes, happy holidays. Enjoy the spring. Thank you. Thank you all. The Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link, a podcast media company that is dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers Bobby and Mike Carducci. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows. Your review helps our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.